This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grace Collective this morning. If you're new or newer with us, uh, we're super glad that you are here. And if you're normally with us, well, we're super glad you're here too. So friends, believe it or not, we are like in the home stretch, like the final furlong of this really long message series we've been in since way back in December. Do you remember 2022? Like we, way back then we started on December 4th and it's called the Jesus Project. So every weekend we've been doing like a deep dive into who Jesus is and why that you should matter or why he should matter to your life. And we started way back on December 4th talking about like when the world was weary and the Jews were tired of waiting, God did the most amazing thing. He showed up like he came in the form of a person named Jesus. Then we talked about how, how people experimented with Jesus. Like, here's this, here's this guy claiming to be God here on earth, and they experimented. They kicked his tires, took him out for a, a test drive. And, and when they did that, some of them stuck and some didn't. And those that did changed the world. And those that didn't, well, they missed out. We talked about the fact that Jesus is the most compelling person of all time in the history of the world. He changed lives, and those changed lives became some of the greatest testimony, some of the greatest evidence that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. And then all last month, we talked about the resurrection. We got right into it, like, and we looked at those who were closest to Jesus and close, closest to the resurrection, and we found out that, that the death and resurrection of Jesus for them, it wasn't, it wasn't a, like a final like victory lap or you know, it wasn't the grand finale. It was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? But from that, we learned that when it comes to faith and when it comes to trusting Jesus, when it comes to, to stepping in, to believing the resurrection of Jesus, that it's okay to be unsure. It's okay to be unclear. It's okay to be a little bit confused. That God is gracious and kind and patient, and he gives you room to be all of those things. Then it just keeps showing up and showing up and showing up in your life so that you can believe in him. And then last weekend, Pastor Jonathan kicked us off into the final month of this series where we're talking about lives, like real lives are really changed by Jesus, but they didn't stop there. They went out and they changed other lives for Jesus, which is really the point, right? I mean, that's the plan. That's God's command. That's God's call. That followers of Jesus are supposed to make followers of Jesus. This is, what, this is what God calls you to if you're a follower of Jesus. Like lives changed by Jesus change lives for Jesus. Read that with me. Lives changed by Jesus change lives for Jesus. That's, that's what it means when you're following Jesus. And I get it. I, I, I can hear what you're thinking. I get it. Like you're busy. You've got ball games and soccer practices and recitals and concerts. Hey, I'm a dad too. I get it. When do you have an ounce of time to fit one more thing into your already too busy life? Something like going out and telling people about Jesus, right? But listen, friends, that, that's where I think we've missed it. God's not asking you to, to like add one more thing to your already busy life. He's saying, hey, just, just do what I'm asking you to do in the life you're already living. Like the people you hang out with, the places you already go. Like just live the Jesus way of life in the life that you are already living. 
Now, what all this comes down to, what all this springs from, actually, is something called the gospel. How many of you have heard the word gospel before? Okay, if you've been in church, like, for a second in your life, you should have heard gospel before. Gospel is just a, it's, it comes from a Greek word. It means good news. Let's, let's just kind of break this down just for a moment um, about the gospel. Let me just tell you what the gospel is. Let me give you a really simplified version of what the gospel is. It's simply this, knowing that Jesus died, why he died, and he didn't stay died. Okay, Jesus rose again from the dead, and we call that the gospel, which actually just means good news. Now, that changes lives. The good news of Jesus has been changing lives for 2,000 years. Now, how and why it changes lives? Well, that's this summer, man. I cannot wait to get into the summer series. It's it's the the summer of the gospel. It's going to be so um, awesomely amazing. I can't wait to get there. But for right now, just know that, that once you get the good news... You want to give the good news. You want to give it to somebody else. And two weeks ago, we started talking about that a little bit. We talked about the Great Commission. Remember, when you give your life to Jesus, you team up with Jesus. You are on a co-mission with Jesus to change lives, to change the world. That's what a follower of Jesus is. That's what a follower of Jesus does. In fact, I don't know any other way to to define or describe a follower of Jesus. Listen, God does not give you room to make up other definitions of a follower of Jesus. You you can't come in here and you can't say, well, but you know what? I, I went to church like every Sunday when I was a kid. In fact, even now as an adult, I'm back and I'm going like once or twice a month. I go to church. So I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know a lot of people who were in church even more often than not. Some of you are here, and you're not following Jesus. Some of you are thinking, but you know what? I I believe in Jesus, therefore, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know a lot of people who believe Jesus is real. They don't care. They're not following Jesus. Yeah, but I, I, I know, like, the, the Bible, I've memorized verses. I've read it from front to back and back to front several times. I can, I can tell you all 66 books of the Bible, even more if you're Catholic, right? <laughs> God, some of you are like, it's called the Apocrypha. We'll talk about another week on that. But listen, the reality is none of those things make you a follower of Jesus. We've said this around here a lot, but those things like reading the Bible and, and, and memorizing Scripture, th- th- those are all good things. And being in church is good, but they don't make you a follower of Jesus any more than sitting in McDonald's makes you a French fry, right? Let me give you, let me just give you a biblical definition of following Jesus. You ready for this? Here, here we go. If you're following Jesus, then you're a follower of Jesus. It's just that simple. If you're following the commands of Jesus, if you're doing what Jesus told you to do, living like he tells you to live, then you're following Jesus. Don't pretend you're following Jesus by showing up at church or memorizing scripture, but not living the way he tells you to live. You're not following Jesus. You're pretending to follow Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus commands you, in fact, the thing he commands us as his followers It's to go out and make disciples, followers, making other followers of Jesus. In fact, let me say it this way. If if you if you are not, if your life is not changing other people's lives for Jesus, then you are not following Jesus. 
Some of you are starting to squirm, and we're just getting started. So buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. Today, you're going to get a really good dose of what this looks like. Like, like if, if, you're, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is good for you. This is going to be really good for you, because if you're thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus, if you came here today thinking, God, I don't really know who you are, but I think I want to know who you are. Maybe I'm going to be like, you know, give myself to whatever they're talking about. You need to know what you're getting into before you get into it, right? So let's just lay it out there so you know what you're stepping into. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, we're just holding a standard up this morning that you and I both need to hold ourselves accountable to if we claim to be a follower of Jesus. Because following Jesus is kind of like being pregnant. You are or you're not. There's no in-between, all right? So, so let's just lay it out there today. And what I want to do, I want to start with, with coming back to this word gospel, because it's, what we're talking about is as a follower of Jesus, making other followers of Jesus, is sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. So the word gospel actually comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is euangelion. Euangelion. And it's made up of, of, of two parts. The prefix eu simply means good. And we use that around, you know, our, our culture, like Eureka, I found something good. Um, euphoria, I, I feel really good. Eulogy, that's, there's a word that begins with E-U. Eulogy, when you, if you give a eulogy at someone's funeral, you're saying a good word about the person who passed away. So E-U just means good. The other part of the word angelion actually j- just means news or message. So the Greeks, they put those two things together and say, oh, Good news, good message. And it didn't start like with Jesus. This was a word in Greek language they used all the time. It was just a common Greek word. Like if, if you got a call from the doctor and the doctor says, hey, hey, guess what? All your tests came back perfectly clean and clear. You're, you're good to go. You're like, oh, that's euangelion. That's good news. Or you, you propose to your girlfriend. She says, yes, way to go. That's euangelion. That's good news. Or some of you, like this is really appropriate for some of you right now. You're hoping to graduate in a week or two, right? And you get your grades back. You're like, oh, I passed calculus. That's euangelion. That's good news. Like, that's, what, that's what the word was. But then Jesus happened. And that word, it didn't change. It just got elevated. The, this good news, like even, listen, even at Jesus' birth. Remember when Jesus was born? Some of you know this. The angel showed up to the shepherds and said, I bring you, I bring you what? Good news of great joy that should be for all the people. I bring you euangelion is the word. I bring you good news. And and even from from Jesus' birth, the good news meant that at a decided and dramatic moment in history, God broke into the world. And then, and then post-resurrection, so Jesus is born, this is good news for everybody, and then, and then Jesus lives his life, then he's arrested, and he's crucified, and raised again, and they began using the word there, like euangelion, we got good news, Jesus is raised from the dead, and it even heightened it further, elevated it more, it honed it even more, it brought more victory and more glory. Because it meant that Jesus, not only did he live and die, but he raised again, and he did this for you. So that all of your past, all of your mistakes, all the mistakes done against you, all of your shame, all of your sin, all of your guilt. Listen, we all have that. Every one of us has a backstory. None of us can sit here, except maybe John, but all, all, all the rest of us, we can't look over our lives and say, Woo, I don't regret anything. 
Man, I'm good with everything I've ever done. I don't want any redo. I'm good to bring up. None of us can do that. We all have things. Like, we've not told any, we've not even told anybody some of those things, right? But you carry them. And the good news about Jesus is Jesus, hey, I'll take that from you. I'll wipe your slate clean. I'll get, can you imagine waking up in the morning and saying, oh my gosh, all this stuff I've been, been burdened with and worried about and carrying, the stuff I'm, I'm ashamed of and feel guilty over, and the mistakes I've made and things I've done against me, that those are just gone? Can you imagine that? That's why this is good news. That's what they began to use this word for. When, when, when they began to share the good news of Jesus, that not only can your past be, be forgiven and cleaned, but your present gets empowered. And guess what? Beyond that, there's a future for you. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the past is gone, the present is getting better, and there's a future lined up for you with him forever. Oh my gosh, is that good news? Okay, can someone say amen? amen? Holy cow, this is great news. But that's what the word became attached to and known as the good news, the gospel, euangelion of Jesus. And, and people began to share this good news. Like pe- people like when they get good news, like when you get good news, you want to go tell other people your good news. If your girlfriend said yes, you're on the phone, you're on the videos, you're, 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 you're Snapchatting, you're TikToking. Man, good news, she said yes. Like... Just like that, these people, they got good news. They got it, and they wanted to give it. And they were so convinced that what Jesus had done for them, that he could do for others. Like if if Jesus rescued someone from prostitution, then she's like, oh, he can do that for other prostitutes. I'm going to go tell them that. If if Jesus rescued someone from addiction, then that that guy's like, oh, Jesus did this for me. He can do that for other addicts. I'm going to go tell them that. If, if someone had their past forgiven and, and their sin and their shame and their guilt just wiped away, like, oh, he did that for me. <laughs> he can do that for everybody. They started telling people. They started sharing this euangelion, this good news. They began to just tell people what they knew. Hey, here's, here's what Jesus did for me. He can do the same for you. They began to express that. And that expression became an explosion of the early church. And people in Jerusalem where it started by the thousands, like 3,000 in one day, hundreds and thousands more the next day, more the next day, more the next day. The expression became this amazing explosion as the church began to grow and people were hearing and receiving the good news and saying, I want that good news. And they were getting it and they're giving it to others and more and more people kept giving their lives to Jesus because they needed Jesus. And here's something you already know. Here's something you already know. You live in a world, and you live in a nation, and you live in a, in a state, and you live in a community, and you live in a family where people need the good news of Jesus, right? You go to school with, you work with, you play on a team with, you're in a band with, people need to know the good news of Jesus, right? Yeah. So God's saying, go tell them. If you're mine, if you're a follower of me, go make more followers of me. This is the command Jesus gave us as his followers. God's saying, go tell them what you know. Just just listen, if you don't know what else to say, just tell them what I've done for you, what you've discovered in me. And if you, if, you, if you feel like there's some gaps, don't worry, I'll fill, the, I'll fill in the blanks. He's really good at doing that. Just tell them what you know. 
So here's an example this morning of how one guy told people what he knew about Jesus, how he shared the good news. So there was this man named Philip in the New Testament. The second half of our Bible. So the, there were actually lots of people back in that culture named Philip. It was a pretty popular guy's name. Um, I, I, there are four of them named in the New Testament. Two of them, two Philips, um, they were the sons of King Herod. But it's thinking, one dad with two sons with the same name. A little creepy, right? A little weird? Like, can you imagine? Is my son Philip? Is my other son Philip? <laughs> and my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl. <laughs> this is, that was kind of weird. Now, if it helps at all, they're from two different mothers. Still weird, okay? Two sons with the same name. So those two, those two Philips. Then there was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. His name was Philip. But then there's this Philip. Let me introduce you to this Philip. This Philip we're looking at today. He was around, he, he was a contemporary of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So he's alive, like he's, he's there, probably as a young man, in the, in the very earliest days of the church. And we get our first introduction to this Philip when a complaint rose up in the early church. So the early church was started, like they didn't have churches all over the place yet. It was like just Jerusalem. And the early church was made up mostly of Jews who were saying, oh yeah, I get it. This good news about Jesus, he really is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. So all these Jews are giving their lives to Jesus as their Messiah. But in the Jewish world, there were like two groups of Jews. There was, there was one group of Jews who was raised in a Jewish, like the Jewish nation, in a Jewish land. Um, they spoke Aramaic. Hebrew was the was the language of the Jews until about 300 B.C., and then Aramaic became the official language of the Jews. Aramaic became the home language of the Jews, and Hebrew was the holy language of the Jews. So at home and at school, they're speaking Aramaic, but it, when they went to synagogue or temple, they spoke uh, Hebrew, okay? That, that, so those are the people, they're called Hebraic Jews because they were raised in and they, they, they stuck with Jewish traditions, Jew, Jewish values, um, Jewish heritage, all that. Then you have this other group of Jews who, who were the same heritage, same prophecies, same promises, same prophets, all that stuff. But they weren't raised in a Jewish nation. They were raised in other nations, still fully Jewish, but grew up elsewhere. And they were influenced by Greek culture. So their first language was Greek. And so they're called the Hellenized or Hellenistic Jews. So both sets of Jews, they still come to Jerusalem for all the festivals. And they, they're in Jerusalem when the church started. And so both sets of Jews, people are coming to know Jesus as Messiah from, from Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews. But here's, here's what happened. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, even from the earliest days of the church, one of the biggest responsibilities the church took on was to care for people in need. And in that culture, nobody was more in need than widows. If a woman in that culture, you couldn't survive easily or well by yourself. If you didn't have a husband or a son to take care of you, then you needed the church to step in. And the church gladly stepped in to take care of the widows. And, and, and they were able to do that because 
the followers of Jesus in that day, they didn't hoard their stuff like we do in our day. Like if somebody had two houses, they sold one and they gave the money to be distributed among the poor. If someone had, you know, gardens or fields, they produced crops, they would, they would harvest it. But they would bring it all, you know, bring it in and, and share it with the people who didn't have enough food. So they, they kept everything kind of in common. And so they had enough to take care of all these widows, but these, these Hellenistic widows, they're like, hey, y'all are overlooking us. We're not getting our fair share here. And you know how that happens, right? How many of you, how many of you, honestly, how many of you have ever forgotten someone's birthday? Y'all are lying. But you know how that happens, right? So, so you're, you're in a busy season of life. It's kind of chaotic. Graduation's coming up, or, or maybe uh, you're getting married, or it's just busy in life. And one day you sit down for your mom coffee, and you look at your calendar, you're like, oh, my gosh, last week was so-and-so's birthday, and I forgot it. You didn't do that intentionally. You didn't skip it on purpose. You were just busy, and you honestly forgot. That's what's happening here. There's not favoritism being shown. The early church was so chaotic and so crazy busy. You got hundreds or thousands of people joining the ranks every day. Twelve people in charge. It's easy to overlook something. And these Hellenistic Jews, these widows, like, hey, we're over here and we're going hungry. You keep, we're not getting what what were you promised us? They, they, They weren't, they weren't showing favoritism. They just lacked organization. They needed a better system. So here's what they did. So the twelve apostles gathered all the disciples together, and they said, it would not be right for us to to neglect the ministry of the Word of God, that's preaching and teaching, in order to wait on tables. Now, can can I just tell you something kind of funny and embarrassing about myself for a moment? Don't tell anybody else, just between you and me, okay? Every time I read this for the longest time, I just pictured the apostles as waiters. Like, like, maybe you've done this too, but I picked, because I, I waited tables for years. I just picture them putting on the apron, you know, taking orders, bringing food out, serving all these widows at their kitchen tables or dining room tables in their own. I just picture them, like, literally waiting on tables. How many of you have ever, ever waited on tables? Yeah. So 30, maybe 40, 50 people in a single night, that's a lot. They've got thousands of people. There's no way the apostles are waiting on tables. That's not what this means. When it says the tables, they're not talking about dining room and kitchen tables. They're talking about, they're talking about the tables at the distribution center where, where the monies or food or goods were brought in and collected and then from there given out to the people who needed it. It was a distribution. Think of a food bank. The apostles are like, hey, this is a great ministry. We're not saying one ministry is higher or lower than another. We're just not called to that. We need a better system. And so here's, here's what they said to all these followers. They said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the apostles were like, we don't know all of you, but you know all of you. So from among you, choose seven guys, seven guys that you trust, send them to us, we'll vet them, and then we'll turn this ministry over to them. All right, so that's that's what the people are going to do. But what I want you to see here, I want you to notice, are the requirements for these seven guys. They weren't looking for someone who had a degree in supply chain management. 
They weren't looking for an MBA, you know, from Jerusalem U. Did you hear what the requirements were? Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Here's what that means. Give us seven men who have given their lives to Jesus, because when that happens, he gives you his Holy Spirit to give you power and wisdom. And let me, let me just give you, this is not really part of the message, but let me give you a freebie today. If, if you are ever worried about stepping into service to serve God in some way, don't be afraid of that. All you got to do is say, God, I don't know if I can do that, but if you give me your power and your wisdom, I'm good to go. Listen, when God calls you to it, he'll give you what you need to do it. And so that's a freebie. Take that home with you. But that's, that's what these guys are just signing up. Like, hey, they, they chose me um, because apparently I'm full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And so here's, here's who they chose. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip. There's our guy. This is your first introduction to Philip, all right? Philip, uh, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. That was just a sign of blessing them, commissioning them for the task in front of them. And, and there's our introduction to Philip, like the very first time. And immediately, you know a few things about him. First of all, you know he's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom because those are requirements to be asked to do what they asked him to do. So you know that right away. You also know that he, he's willing to serve like wherever. He didn't balk at it. He didn't say thanks, but no thanks. He's like, hey, I'm stepping up. Coach, put me in. I'm ready to play. He's ready to do this. And here's something very interesting. This is not really biblical, but it, it might, it's, it's possible. All seven of those names... Those are Greek names, not Hebrew names. So it's possible, maybe even probable, that all seven of those men are Hellenistic Jews, not Hebraic Jews. And think of the beauty of that. Here are the apostles. Like, hey, we know that, hey, Hellenistic uh, widows, we know you've been kind of feeling overlooked. So what we're going to do is appoint seven men to really make sure you're not overlooked anymore, and all seven are from your camp. What an act of faith. What a beautiful move on the part of the apostles. So that solved the whole problem of the widows. But not long after that, a brand new problem happens. A way bigger problem happens, and it's called persecution. See, this, this group of people, these followers of Jesus, they're, they're gaining the, you know, traction by the thousands, and the religious leaders in Jerusalem are like, oh my gosh, we, we can't let this continue and so persecution against the followers of Jesus broke out in Jerusalem. I mean, persecution, not like name calling, but like being rounded up, arrested and put to death. If you profess Jesus, then you're being put to death. And that made all these followers of Jesus scatter out of Jerusalem, except for the apostles, basically, including Philip. And Philip, when he left, he went to a town in Samaria. Can we do that again? So, including Philip. And when Philip left, he went to a town in Samaria. Ooh. There should be some gasps, some audible oohs on that. You, you know this. Samaritans and Jews, they don't get along. They, they're mortal. This is mortal combat. They're sworn enemies. Like, they share the same bloodline, but man, there's some bad blood between them. For Philip... To go into Samaria, ooh, 
But you know what he did? He goes into this town in Samaria. He just begins to share, guess what? The gospel. He begins to tell people the good news of Jesus. Here's this Jew walking into the Samaritan town saying, let me tell you about the Messiah. And the most amazing things began to happen. People who were paralyzed and lame, they got healed. People who were, who were uh, controlled by demons got set free. People in, in that town began giving their lives to Jesus, all because Philip went there and began to express the good news. He just went there and he told people what he knew about Jesus. And this great upbringing, this great like, revival starts. Things are going fantastic. It's phenomenal. And then this happened. This happened. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Period. Like, that's it. No further instruction. Hey, Philip, get up and, and leave town. And I know you've got a great thing going. I know you've got an amazing ministry. But, but get out of town and go down to this road and just wait. That would be like God saying to you, hey, Hey, Leslie, get out on 119 South and just stand there, okay? Just walk down there and just stand there. And they'd be like, oh, but what am I going to do, God? God's like, hey, Philip, I know something really amazing is happening where you are, but I'm about to do something so awesome, and I want you, I'm sending you to do it. So Philip was like, okay. And, and so this is what happened. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Some of you are so stuck on Kandake. <laughs> Did he say candy corn? Did he say candy cane? Kandake is a word that means a royalty, a woman, a woman of royalty um, from, from the kingdom. So listen, you know where Ethiopia is today, northeastern Africa? That wasn't Ethiopia in the Bible, it's kind of north of that. What we, today we call Sudan was biblical Ethiopia. And it was really part of a bigger kingdom there as part of Egypt called Cush, C-U-S-H. And women who were royalty, remember the Queen of Sheba from, from uh, uh, history lessons? Yeah, that she was from there. This women who were royalty, like the queen, they were called the Candace. Now, in your Bible, maybe you read Candace. That's because, like, when it got Latinized, K's were changed to C's. It became Candace. It's not a name. It's a title, like Pharaoh or Caesar, the Candace. This is, like, the queen. And here's this guy who was successful, a very high-ranking official over all the money of her court. And, get this, and this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So somehow, like way over in Egypt, 15, 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem, this guy hears about the God of the Jews. And he's so excited about this God of the Jews, he wants to go the whole way over to Jerusalem to the temple to worship. So he, he gets his stuff ready. He, he saves up some money. He's, he's going to take off work for like a year because 1,500 miles traveling by chariot took five months. 
Can you imagine that? Some of you, some of you, hey, online family, we're so glad you're online, but some of you woke up this morning and said, oh, I can't get out of bed and get ready and get to church. It's too far. It's too hard to get to, get to church this morning. We'll just watch it online. Are you kidding me, online family? <laughs> this guy traveled five months, 1,500 miles to get to church to worship. Don't y'all laugh. Don't you dare laugh at the online family, because some of you woke up this morning like, oh my gosh, I got so much to do today. It's Mother's Day. I don't have time to get to church. You got here, but you complained the whole way. <laughs> Five months, 1,500 miles, one way. He's so excited. He, he gets everything ready, lays out a small fortune. Does, it's not for free, right? He, he takes one of the royal coach, coaches, the, the chariot, and he travels the whole way. He's so excited about going to worship God in the temple, and he's traveling. He's probably singing like the, the top 30 worship songs of 33 AD, and people are going past him on the road like, oh, that guy, look at him singing to his, to his stereo, you know, like, like you do in your car at the red light. Like, you're going to be singing these songs we sang today all day, all week long, right? But he didn't have any windows. They could hear him, not just see him. <laughs> he finally pulls in Jerusalem five months later. He's excited. He hops out. He probably has to feel his legs again. He asks directions to the, to the temple. He runs up the steps. He gets there, and he gets turned away. Because the temple was one of the most segregated places in the world. The temple was segregated according to tribe, race, gender. Like, there were courts for all those. If you were a Jewish, if, if you were a Gentile, you could go, like, man or woman, you could go into the court of Gentiles. That's like the parking lot. If you were, if you were a good Jewish woman in good standing, you could maybe come into the lobby. If you were a good Jewish man um, in good standing, you could maybe come into the sanctuary. And if you were of the tribe of Levi, the Levites, the priests, then you could actually come up to the front and maybe up on stage. They were segregated. But this guy was turned away, not because of the color of his skin, not because he wasn't Jewish. There was still the court of Gentiles, but just because he was a eunuch. And they had a strict law that no eunuchs were allowed in the temple. 1,500 miles, five months, excited to get into worship, gets turned away. What do you think he did? Do you think he may, I don't know, maybe, maybe he hung out in the chariot parking lot and, you know, sulked a little bit. Maybe, maybe he got up as close as he could and listened because he knows all the songs. He's been practicing the whole way there. Maybe when he heard him, he sang from the outside, just raised his voice in worship from outside the temple. Maybe he tried to peek in through the windows. But at some point, don't you think at some point he gets so tired of watching everybody else walk in, walk out, walk in, walk, but he wasn't allowed to go and he said, I'm going home. And he jumped in his chariot, and he started 1,500 miles, five months back home. That's this guy's story. Let's keep reading. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, they didn't have books like we have books. Like they had scrolls. They didn't, they didn't take their Bible, our Old Testament, and, and bind it all together. Everything was a scroll, like the scroll of Nehemiah, the scroll of Ruth, the scroll of Esther, the scroll of Isaiah. Every single one was a different scroll. And they weren't common, and they weren't cheap. This guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, is so, so desperate to find out who God is and, and to become, you know, close to God that he has laid out a small fortune to get there, another small fortune to, to get a copy of the scroll. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And so he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. 
The Spirit told Philip, who was standing along 119 South by Leslie, right? He, see, so he, he, Philip's right where God told him to go. And the Spirit then told Philip, hey, go to that chariot and stay near it. Like, <laughs> how fast is that chariot going? You know, stay near it. Like, it's moving. So Philip's running along beside it. So Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading, obviously out loud, Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, and he probably said, by the way, you're a really good runner. Right. But this is such a great scene. Look, look, look at these two guys. You got this really wealthy, high, important official who's been turned away in Jerusalem. You got this poor preacher who's, who's just obedient to Jesus. His life's been changed by Jesus, but he got chased out of Jerusalem. And here they are sitting in the same chariot. And Philip begins to explain everything that he knew. Just tell them what you know. Like when he's reading Isaiah, the part he's reading is about the, the Messiah. It's about Jesus. And so Philip's like, let me tell you what I know about Jesus. And he shares with him, with him about Jesus. And here, here's what happened. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Like, what can stand in the way of me being baptized? I wasn't allowed in the temple, but what, but what you're telling me is that God wants me. He loves me. He wants me in a relationship with him. And, and obviously, Philip told him, told him about baptism, because baptism wasn't a Jewish thing. It was a Jesus thing. Like, when you give your life to Jesus... When you make that decision, you, then you get baptized as an outward sign of that. And the eunuch's like, hey, here's water. Let's, let's go. How about baptizing me? So, he, so he, he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Cool story, right? And after that, after that, Philip is like miraculously, he vanishes. He is taken away. God's spirit just whisks him away. He ends up in a whole other town. Can you imagine being on the sidewalk when that happened? Poof. What? <laughs> right? And there's, so here's Philip. He just pops into this town called Azotus. And it's, it's not in Samaria. He doesn't go back to Samaria. He, he goes up the, the Mediterranean coast, the Mediterranean Sea. And, and he's going from town to town. They're not Jewish towns. They're towns of people like the Philistines. The people who were sworn enemies also of the Jews. But Philip's like, let's go. And he just, everywhere he goes, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Until finally he gets a little bit further up the coast to a town called Caesarea. Not Caesarea Philippi, that's a different city, to Caesarea by the sea. And there he, there he lands and there he stays and there he raises a family. In fact, you want to hear something super cool about that? Okay, this is so cool, this is so cool. You, you'll, you'll see the connecting of the dots. He's living there. Guess who, years later, guess who visited him there? A guy named Paul. Okay, Paul. Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. Like Paul, who was out telling the world about Jesus. On one of his missionary journeys, he comes back through Caesarea, and, he is, and his companions stayed at the house of Philip. Paul, who used to be named Saul, who was responsible for Philip running for his life in the first place. Saul, who led the charge putting Christians to death, is now a guest in the house of Philip. How cool is that? Isn't God amazing? Yes. That's just what God does. And it's from that, from that visit, that little, that little part of Scripture, we find out the nickname they've all given to Philip. You know what his nickname was? Philip 
the evangelist. Philip, evangelist, euangelion, same word base. Philip, the one who tells the good news of Jesus to others. How cool is that? So that's, that's Philip's story. Meanwhile, the, the Ethiopian, he's got like five months. He finally gets home, excited to tell people in his own country about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and everything wraps up nicely. End of story. Like literally, end of the story. But it leaves me wondering. It leaves me just one thing like I want to know. I want to know why. Don't you? Don't you, don't you want to know why? Like, why did God pull Philip out of Samaria where he had an amazing ministry where people were coming to know Jesus every day, where the whole town is getting changed, and, and people are like, it, it's not a dead ministry. It's a live, vibrant, vital ministry where all these people are giving their lives to Jesus, and, and God says, hey, I'm taking you out of that to go down here. I, if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, okay, wow. Is it another town, God? No. Is, is it another big group of people? No. Well, where is it? It's, it's a lonely desert road. Well, I have this going up here, God, and this is amazing. So why are you sending me down, down here? Like, I want to know why. Why would, God, why would God take Philip from the masses to the one? Because up to this point, God's been working in big groups, like thousands here, hundreds there, thousands here, hundreds there. So, so why does God all of a sudden change his, his tactic and, and send them like one-on-one, -on -one, like mano a mano. I want to know why. Now, let me take a stab at it. This is not biblical, so, do, so don't, don't quote this as scripture. This is just me. This is just Rich telling you what I think. Here's, here's what I think. I think God saw this man, and God loved him so much. This man was just... Thirsty for God, hungry for God, desperate for God, just curious about God. God saw this man, and God loved him so much. God's like, oh, my gosh. Listen, dude, I know who you are. I know where you are. Hang tight. You're keeping the chariot. I'm sending someone to you because I love you. That's what I think it was. Hey, Philip, I know this is great up here, but this is going to be awesome because this one person is going to hear the good news from you. And I think that's, I think that's why. So I, I, I love the fact that God did that. And listen, that's not supposed to be an isolated case. It's not just a, a cool story that we come here and talk about, and then we go home, right? This is supposed to be your story. You might be one of these two characters in it. Maybe you're the guy on the road. Maybe you're here today or listening online today, and you're like, God, I, I really don't know who you are. But I'm thinking about you. I don't even know if I believe you're real, but I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to prove it. God, I, I, I've heard about you, whatever, whatever it is. You're not there yet, but you're, you're moving there. And maybe today's the day where you just say, God, I don't know you, but I want to. So maybe, that, maybe that's you. Or, or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you're the one that God's going to send to that person. Maybe you're, the, maybe you're Philip or Phyllis, whatever the case may be. You... You're the one who's being sent. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you are sent. Make no mistake about it. Remember, you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're a follower or you're not a follower. You're making disciples or you're not making disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are sent. And maybe today's the day you're sent to this person over here. If you're this person over here, I'm inviting you to the altar today to say, Jesus, 
I want to know you. Just show me who you are. I'm curious, but I'm confused. I want to know you. I just don't know enough about you yet. And God's saying to you, oh, I love you. I love you so much. Just hang tight. I'm sending someone to you. And if you're over here, you're sent. It might be someone here. It might be someone else. There's people in your sphere, right? In your family, at your school, on your team, at your work. There are people in your sphere who need to know Jesus. You are sent. So here's my call to you, followers of Jesus. I get it. Maybe, maybe you're scared. Maybe you're shy. Maybe you're afraid that, you know, you won't have the right words. Come to this altar today and ask God for them. God, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit to give me power and courage and wisdom. Just tell them what you know. What Jesus has done for you, he can do for them. That's the good news. That's sharing the good news. That's followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. Listen, what if? What if Grace Collective was known more for sending instead of just gathering? What if we were concerned more about our sending capacity instead of our seating capacity? Wouldn't that be cool? Can you imagine our expressing leading to a new explosion? The good news of Jesus, the gospel, everyone, everywhere, every day. So that's the invitation today. This altar is going to be wide open. And I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out. If Who here is ready to accept God, or just take a step and say, God, I, I just want to know more. Then come up here and join me. And who here is ready to say, God, I'm pretending to follow you for a long time, and it's time to, to get serious. It's time to stop pretending and actually follow you by making your word known, by me sharing what I know with others. Who's ready to do that this morning? Anybody? Come on up. Anybody? Don't tell me we've got a church of people afraid to do that. We have to go back to Jonathan. We're going to go back to basics. This is the command. This is the call. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can't get around this. Give us a chance. We'll help you. That's what life groups are for. Listen, today's the day to be brave, to be courageous enough to say, here I am. I'll go. Because what, what are those lyrics we sang earlier? Hell's not afraid of this. Sitting in our chairs, we are no threat to the enemy. And we're not allowed a lot of good to the kingdom. But the people come down here. This scares the enemy. This scares, this makes them shake. Because this is what God called us to do. This is not church out there. This is church up here. When you and I are saying, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll serve any way you want me to serve. I will tell people in my life about you. I will be someone who shares the good news. This builds the kingdom. So today, who's with me? Come on up here. Who's ready? Who's ready? Come up here. If you're ready, if you're not ready, God's patient. But if you're ready, what are you waiting for? This is it. This, God may be sending you to the road this week. And if you don't tell people the good news, that person at work, that person in your family, that person at school, that school's about to end. If you don't tell them, who will? This is you. Finally saying, God, I'm ready. I want 
to be the person that tells the good news to others. If you're ready, come up and join us. Let me pray for us as we're up here. So, Father God, we are ready. And God, right now, the enemy's quaking in his boots because something's going to start happening. Because we're going to start expressing. It's going to lead to an explosion. God, where we're going to tell people the good news. We're going to tell people what we know. And then they're going to take that good news. Once they get it, they're going to want to give it. And they're going to take that good news and tell others in their lives. We're going to see an explosion, Lord God, this entire network of people sharing the good news with people who need the good news of you, Jesus. And so we cannot wait to see what you are going to do. Lord, this is yours. This is yours. This is yours. We commit all of this to you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.